Hello and welcome to What the Buck. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump into today's Welcome to another episode of What the Bump. We have Anna coming on the podcast to share her birth story. So thank you for being here, Anna. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get started. (laughs) Tell me first a little bit about yourself and your family. Yeah, so um, a little bit about me. I mean, gosh, I guess whenever you get asked that question, you're like, wait, what do I know about myself? (laughs) So, um, well, before I got pregnant, I was working at a hospital in Uptown um, and my husband is a software developer. And then um, we live here at Charlotte. And I have one cat, one dog. And yeah, I think that's basically it. <laughs> How did you and your partner meet? Yeah, so um, before working at a hospital in Uptown, I was actually working in a department store. Um, and he I had no business being up at the front at the cash register. I was actually supposed to be in the jewelry section. That's where I was scheduled that day. But he came through at the cash register. And as soon as I looked at him, I just like rolled my eyes. And I was like, oh, please don't like say anything like catchy to me or try and hit on me or anything. Cause he just looked like the type of guy to do that. So I was immediately like turned off. Um, but he wasn't like that at all. He's actually very sweet. And I asked him if he wanted to sign up for the credit card. Um, and he did, he didn't get immediately approved. So I felt really bad. And I gave him my employee discount and, um, I knew his name and all of his info because he had to give me his driver's license to sign up for the credit card. So, um, he accidentally left his change on the counter. I reached out to him over Instagram to like, Hey, can I get, give you your change back? You left this on the counter and it's kind of just been history ever since. Wait, that is so, so side note, Anna was one of my dual clients. So I know her very well, but I did not know this whole story. So that is actually so funny. Isn't it? It's so like ironic because I reached out to him. I was like, hey, you left your change on the counter. How can I get this back to you? Like, I don't want it. I'm definitely not going to pocket this. And uh, TJ Maxx doesn't want it either. Like, they're not going to care about an extra five to 10 bucks. He was like, oh, no, you keep it. Um, You can treat yourself with it or whatever. And I was like, no, I don't like that. Like, I want to give this back to you. I don't want this. And yeah, it's just been history ever since. Did he leave the change on purpose or was it truly an accident? Uh, he says it was an accident, but okay. he thinks subconsciously it might have been on purpose. <laughs> it almost makes you think too. And you said that he signed up for the credit card. Like, let's be real. How often yeah. do people actually, like, every time you go to a store, they're like, oh, do you have the TJX card? Do you have the, you know, anywhere you go, any mall store, any department store, they want to sign you up for their credit card. Oh, and- Absolutely. Like 99.99% of the time people say no. So the first thing I was thinking where you were going was that he only signed up for like for the credit card because he was like, I don't know, trying to somehow like hit on you or something like that. Um, so that, that's kind of what I thought you were going to, you were going to say. <laughs> Definitely. I thought so too, but he was, he didn't, I don't think he knew at the time it was actually a credit card. He just heard the whatever percent off. And since I still gave it to him, he felt kind of bad. So he was like, you keep your change. I don't want to accidentally get you in trouble for using your employee discount. But oh my gosh, that's actually such a funny story. (laughs) I think so too. And knowing your guys' personalities, it makes it even even better. (laughs) Yes, definitely. 
That's awesome. Okay. So obviously, you know, you met him to give him his change back. And like you said, the rest is kind of history. Um, you guys ended up, of course, you know, getting married and tell me about finding out you're pregnant. Like, were you guys trying, was it on your radar or was it a surprise? Yeah. So I, um, we had been trying for about six months, which I feel like was kind of a long time considering our ages and stuff. So pregnancy in the beginning, I was really turned off by it. I was the type of person who thought, um, like very transparently, I thought kids were inconveniences. They messed with your sleep habit. I was just so turned off by the idea. And um, I have never really heard anybody else say this, but pregnancy to me really freaked me out. The thought of having someone inside of me for (laughs) basically a year and you don't know for a couple of weeks, just the idea of that really, really psyched me out. I really battled with that for a long time, but I think God's grace is kind of divine because after the six months, I was like, I don't care. All of those fears out the window, like I am ready to be pregnant and have this baby. And um, I ended up getting pregnant, funny enough, Um, let's see, I found out August 16th this time last year. And I was one of those like crazy testers addicted to taking tests. And I took a test on seven DPO, which is way too early to test. And I would do this to D'Angelo every month, his poor soul. I'd be like, I swear I see something. I swear I see something. And he'd be like, no, you don't see anything in it. Like there's nothing there. But then nine DPO rolled around and I got like a blazing positive and, you know, D'Angelo is just so chill and phlegmatic. He was like, oh, that's exciting. Like, sounds good. You know, life still kind of goes on. And um, of course, like he, he got more excited as time went on, but he's just not the type of person to get really excited and worked up about anything at yes. all. So he's just very cool, calm and collected. And I was, of course, very excited. You could see I was like just jumping up and down and whatever. But he was like, yeah, I mean, that's what you wanted. I'm glad it's here. Sounds good you know, like, all right, we'll continue on. Yeah. And for anybody who does not know, I mean, um, Anna is saying like seven DPO and nine DPO, that just means mm-hmm. days post ovulation. Um, so it's just basically, you know, I think, what do they say to actually test that? I think they say, I think they say like 12 days post ovulation on the actual like test box, but of course you can definitely yeah. test earlier than that and get a positive. I think most people get positives by like that nine or 10, but of course it varies for everybody. Um, but seven, you know, I think I got mine at like eight and it was like, so, so, so faint. Um, mm-hmm. but yes, I was, I was crazy with testing because I have this little app and if you're addicted to testing, this will help you out as well. It's called checker. You can download it on your phone and you can actually import photos on there and you can invert the photo to where it like shows you the negative hues. And I was like, I swear I see a negative hue faint line. I swear I do. I swear I do. And I ended up being right because now we have a four month old. Yes. It's so weird how we're so impatient and we do all these things in reality. Like if we just waited another day, we would have like a solid answer. <laughs> Literally it doesn't change the outcome of anything. It does like, not at all. It's so it just- funny. It is very funny. So now leading into your pregnancy, um, kind of, I guess let's start with really the first trimester because I know your story is going to change. So, um, how was your first trimester? It was easy, breezy, beautiful. It really was. Um, I really like, I still basically looked the exact same. I didn't look very pregnant at all. 
hadn't really gained, gained much weight either, um, which, I mean, of course you should be gaining weight in pregnancy. Um, uh, but I think I really didn't gain a pound until about 24 weeks. And then that is of course when everything changed. But the first trimester, I felt really spoiled, honestly. I was having a boy and found out he was a boy around seven weeks. And I wasn't really sick. I never threw up a single time. And all of my nausea seemed to subside around week nine or 10. And then by then I was just, I felt great all the time. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. Um, so yeah. you said, you mentioned, you know, um, kind of week 24, things started to change. So I guess um, I know there's kind of a lot to this. So I guess kind of take yeah. us through what, uh, what, what you mean by things started to change and then kind of how that all unfolded too. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, people started telling me, oh, I can't believe how much you're showing. I can't believe how much you're showing. And I really started hearing those comments around week 22, which I couldn't believe how much I was showing either. Like when I was on week 14, 16, 18, I really didn't look pregnant at all. And then I just kind of basically exploded. Um, and I knew I was showing a lot, but I really didn't think much about it. My husband was a really big baby. Um, all of his siblings were really big babies. So I really didn't think twice. Um, and then around week 24, I took that uh, glucola test. Turns out I had gestational diabetes. Um, and then I just felt huge. I felt really, really big all of the time. And I um, honestly started getting a little bit scared because I was on like week 25, week 26. And I just felt like I couldn't physically breathe. My stomach was so big. And I was really worried because I was like, am I just a wimp? Am I a weenie? People say they don't feel like this until like week 38, week 39, when you're like getting really down to the deadline. And I um, remember going to my a midwife appointment. I couldn't see my OB that day for some reason. And my midwife just kind of looked at me and she was like, you know, you look really big to me. And I was like, yeah, I feel absolutely ginormous, honestly. Um, and so she measured, she did a fundal measurement of measuring my belly and um, I was all met, already measuring full term. So it made sense why I was feeling so uncomfortable. And she went and ordered a ultrasound for me, an EFW ultrasound to measure baby and measure my fluid. And we found out that I had severe polyhydramnios, about um, 40 centimeters of fluid when uh, normal pregnancy has around 19 to 24 centimeters of fluid. Well, so you kind of sense. touch on what polyhydramnosis. Yeah. So um, it's, basically whenever your water breaks, it's all of that water that's inside of your stomach um, that the baby's wrapped in, all that amniotic fluid, is they're just measuring the amniotic fluid that baby's in. Um, and to have severe, like off the chart, polyhydramnios that I have, it's about a 1% type of thing in pregnancy because they actually stop measuring after 35 centimeters. So when she was like, oh, you have about 41 uh, centimeters of fluid, this is like off the charts. Right. It, it 
it kind of validated that feeling where I was like, oh, I'm not a wimp. I'm not a weenie. Like something's actually going on. And this is why I'm so uncomfortable. Right. So your belly polyhydramnios is just having a ton of extra amniotic fluid. And so that's why you felt so big. You know, your belly even looked so big. You had a baby in there, of course, but floating around in 40 centimeters of amniotic fluid, which is a ton. And that can be caused by, I don't know if they ever told you like a direct, I mean, it can be caused, it is baby pee essentially. Um, That's what, you know, amniotic fluid is. So if you have gestational diabetes, it's not abnormal to see some extra fluid because baby pees more. Um, But yours was obviously like more extreme than that. Did they ever give you an exact answer on why they think so? So I ended up, you know, transferring from low risk to high risk Mm -hmm. because I ended up having concurrent conditions. And whenever I would meet with the high risk doctor, um, maternal fetal medicine, or some people call them MFM, um, she basically told me, you know, we could point this to gestational diabetes, but my gestational diabetes was so diet controlled and my numbers were pretty okay. She's like, I, I'm not going to contribute gestational diabetes to off the chart polyhydramnio. She was like, if I were to say anything, I just think you really got an unlucky hand for what's going on. So they, they really had no idea. Right. Okay. Gotcha. So they basically were like, yeah, we we don't know, yeah. <laughs> which, which definitely happens. Okay. So, um, I guess, you know, keep on telling us how things kind of progressed yeah. as far as all of that. Yeah. So, um, it, it made sense to me. I, I really felt validated and like, Oh, okay. So I'm not a wimp. I'm not a lineage. There's yeah. something going on. Um, and then I just, I remember being so uncomfortable in the second trimester, which was so odd to me because a lot of people are like that's kind of that sweet spot you know you have a bump you're kind of feeling a little bit cute you're feeling baby kicks all of the things um and then oh gosh I, I couldn't even count how many times I ended up going to triage because basically with all of that fluid I really couldn't feel Aspen moving our, our boy um so that really kind of psyched me out and then um I ended up getting gestational hypertension. We had the polyhydramnios, gestational diabetes, and then I had something else. I always forget something, but I had about four concurrent conditions going on. Um, and really, once I got into that third trimester, I never felt better. Like at, at the third trimester, which is so weird, I was at my absolute biggest. My stomach got around um, 46 centimeters around and I ended up measuring 47 weeks pregnant, um, which very much felt like I was. And I very much looked like I was. I had people telling me in public like, oh, congratulations on your twins. And I would just have to say thank you because honestly, I really understood. It looked like there was multiples in there. <laughs> I was like, thank you. Just kept it pushing. Um, and then we ended up going with I had a routine appointment on April 6th to do another measurement ultrasound of baby to see how my fluid was doing, all of that. And it was just a routine appointment. You know, sometimes during those high-risk appointments, they would send me over to triage immediately after just to make sure everything was going okay because sometimes um, Aspen wouldn't do very good on his ultrasounds and his non-stress tests and things like that. And they would just send me over for further monitoring. So um, I was maybe expecting that at the very most, but when I went into this appointment on April 6th, she, they did the growth ultrasound. He was measuring almost nine pounds, 
which is of course just an estimate, can go up or down a few pounds. And then um, she said my fluid, so she was saying my fluid had went from 40 centimeters to 14 centimeters, which was concerning because not even 24 hours prior, I had a gross ultrasound at my low risk OB appointment because I was going two to three times a week. Um, and my, whenever they measured my fluid the day before, I was measuring around 36 centimeters of fluid. So where 20 plus centimeters of fluid went overnight, we're not exactly sure. Um, of course, I think you would notice something like that. I never had any leaking or my water didn't break, nothing like that. And um, my high-risk doctor looked at me and she was like, well, looks like your fluids dropped a lot. Everything's looking great. Um, so how are you feeling? And I was like, well, I have a couple of questions because yesterday it was measuring 34 centimeters. And she looked at me and she goes, no, no, it didn't. And I was like, no, I swear, like, please go check, go check on the computers. And so she went and raced out of the room, went and checked. And she was like, you're, you're not kidding. Like you were measuring 34 centimeters of fluid yesterday. And she went and measured herself they remeasured about four times and the most they could measure themselves was 19 centimeters of fluid, which is still a really big gap. Mm -hmm. You know, it's expected to be a couple centimeters off in measurement, but um, then I had been experiencing along with that at around 34 weeks in one day, Aspen really had stopped moving a lot to the point where I really didn't need to do kit counts anymore. I just, I wasn't feeling anything from him and he was always my super overly active kicking and punching, rolling around baby. And he, I mean, he was living in a mansion with all of that fluid. He had tons of room. And so she looked at me and she was like, so I know we're going, I was 36 weeks and two days at this appointment. She goes, so considering we don't know where 20 plus centimeters of fluid is and you're having decreased fetal movement. Um, my induction was actually scheduled for um, that Sunday on April 10th. She's like, how, how are you feeling? And I said, honestly, I feel very nervous. Um, I feel like something's not quite right because it's, we're going on about three weeks of decreased fetal movement. And she goes, okay, good, me too. So um, I'm just gonna go ahead and we're gonna induce you tonight. There's no point in waiting until Sunday. Um, so just go ahead and get your bags packed and your things ready and head over to the hospital. And I was like, wait, are you sure? Like. I kind of felt, I kind of got a little bit scared because I was not anticipating that on that day, you know. Um, so I remember I sent you a text message and I was like, they're inducing me tonight. And we both were like, well, okay. Definitely couldn't say it was a huge surprise. You know, it had been, and I, I and I say this, and I know you felt this much more amplified, but a little bit of a roller coaster. You know, we were back and forth. You were back and forth with your doctors yeah. a lot on like, hey, this doesn't feel right, and um, this feels weird, and um, you know, it it was definitely not easy on you. Aside from all of that emotional kind of going back and forth with your doctors, you were so uncomfortable. You had so much. Um, like Braxton Hicks, your belly was just so, and I'm not lying yeah. to you guys. I saw Anna at like, um, 31 you had your weeks. first prenatal early. Yeah. Like 31 yeah. weeks. Cause we had known there was so much going on. I was like, there's no way you're going to go, you know, past to term. So we moved up all her prenatals. I saw you at 31 weeks and I'm not joking you. And I know this, I'm only saying this to you cause I know it does not offend you, but no, you, it looked, doesn't. you looked 42 weeks pregnant. Like I was like, Oh my goodness. You're, are you sure you're 31 weeks with one child? Um, <laughs> She did. She had, and it was all belly. You were, and when you say you blow up, like it was just your stomach was, it was big. Um, 
So it was a huge roller coaster. I think, you know, I, MFM was like, why wait till Sunday? And you were like, yeah, I agree. So, um, yeah, it, Definitely. it, it wasn't too it, big yeah. of a shock. <laughs> Yeah, it, it does not offend me because I, I was very big and people would, would always tell me like, oh, you're so big. You're so big. Like, trust me. I know you do yeah. not need to convince me. I feel it. I look it like if anybody's uncomfortable, it is me. I promise. Um, but I, I just I kind of felt a little bit caught off guard when she was like, I don't want to wait until Sunday because it made sense. She was like, you know, she said, if I was taking my high risk boards right now, um, I don't have a specific reason for why medically, like why I would induce you tonight. But she was saying that because we're going on almost three weeks of decreased fetal movement, we don't know where this water is at. Um, I don't feel comfortable letting you wait until Sunday. She said, because if something were to happen to this baby, I couldn't live with myself. Um, so that's just not happening. Go home and pack your bag. She, she was even so kind. She was like, do you want me to wheel you over there right now? And I'm like, no, no, I have loose ends to tie up. Like I was not anticipating yes. this today. I'm 36 weeks in two days. Um, so it really kind of caught me off guard because I would go into appointments sometimes being like, oh, for sure, maybe they'll you know, try and induce me or something, because we did have a couple of scares um, mm -hmm. where I know at 31 weeks, I had to go and get actually like stay the night in the hospital because Aspen just wasn't doing so good during his ultrasound and on the non-stress test, his heart rate, he didn't look bad, but they also said he didn't look good enough for them to comfortably send me home. And so we had multiple up and down roller coasters of one of the doctors there told me, you know, if you were 34 weeks, I would just go ahead and take you back for a C-section right now. She's like, cause I just, I don't like this. And like, I just remember all the time going up and down on this roller coaster being a like, lot of okay. different opinions. Yes. All the time, all the time. And God bless Jen, because I'd be like, Jen, I don't know what's going on. And you were just, you're really my rock in all of this oh, telling me so it's sweet. okay. It's normal. And just really normalizing it for me because it was my first pregnancy and I felt like we got dealt with a lot of wild cards in that. Yes. Um, but you really kept me sane because there were so many different opinions from all of these experts and just hearing a different opinion every week, it was honestly really difficult for me. But you just normalizing it and honestly comforting me and telling me like, you know, they would not send you home. They would not let anything happen to you or your baby because this rides on their license. So if they're saying you're fine, you're fine and don't worry about it. Um, and so it really just kind of kept me sane and knowing like, okay, everything's going to be okay. Like I, I really just need to make it till about 37 weeks. And I mean, we got close. We yes. got the 36 <laughs> weeks in four days. So we, we got really close. Yes, you did. You got close. And you know, it's kind of like the saying, sometimes I feel like there's too many cooks in the kitchen and I get yeah. it. Like you have to see MFM if you're high risk. Um, but you know, it, a lot of times I feel like the communication isn't the best. Like your OB tells you one thing and then, um, I, an MFM tells you another thing. And, um, I've had a client have to, you know, switch practices entirely. So because of risk factors. So then she also had her old practice with her OB. Um, and then she had her new practice with an OB and MFM and then different kind of, um, you know, pediatric teams also involved for the extent of things with the baby. And it's just like, there's gonna be a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And this has had, I've had multiple clients who've had many people involved in pregnancies. And it's like a lot of differing opinions on, um, you know, what, what you should do and how you should handle things. So 
it can definitely be a lot, but you handled it great. You rolled with it. Um, I honestly think when, you know, they told you they were ready to induce you, it was, you know, you were ready. Like, and it's not like you wanted your baby to be born at 36 weeks, but in the same time you had had it so rough that like, I did, I did not blame you. I was like, you know, it's been such a roller coaster. There's been so much going on that it's almost like a breath of fresh air. Like, okay, well I know he's safe and healthy. So let's just get him here now. He's 36 weeks, which is a, a fine gestation. Um, you know, if he had to go to the NICU, the outcomes for 36 weekers are, are great. Um, so it, it was definitely a lot, but you handled it very great. Thank you. Yeah. I, I felt like you were saying, I really did not want him to be born um, before term because, you know, as a mom, you want the best for your kids and you, you don't want to bring them into this world for the simple fact of, oh, I'm just so uncomfortable. I don't think I can do this anymore. I'm mentally and physically exhausted. You know, as a mom, that, that no longer really matters. Like you really need to put your baby first. And I remember looking to my OB for um, kind of reassurance because I was like, I, I like, if you want to wait until Sunday, like I really can wait. I don't want to do this. And she, she looked at me and she said, Anna, I'm not doing this because I think you want me to. And that really gave me the reassurance to let go and not stress about that because she said, you know, I I see some moms where they are so uncomfortable and they're so over it and they beg me to get induced and all of the things. And I have to tell them, no, you you really don't want this in the long run. You really need to suck this up for a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. She said, so give yourself the permission to go have your baby because I'm not doing this because I think you want me to do this. She said, I think it's best. Um, and I really wasn't worried because I had been contracting for so long. I had been contracting every two to three minutes since February. Um, so we were also kind of wondering, all right, how long is that going to last before cervical change starts to happen before maybe potential water could break because I had so much water. Um, and then we, they ended up giving me the shot for his lungs. I cannot remember what that's called, Jen. Beta metazone. Yes, I had that at 29 weeks. So yes, I really all the felt, Braxton Hicks you were having. Definitely. So I had, I got that at 29 weeks. So I really felt at peace with my OB telling me that and knowing that we gave him the two shot for his lungs about seven weeks before. I kind of felt like, okay, I've done about all I can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, obviously, you know, it was hard for you to have many birth preferences leading into a 36 week induction. Um, you are definitely like fighting mother nature quite a bit at that point. And obviously with an induction, you are um, literally inviting, you know, some medical intervention to some extent. So outside of kind of that realm, um, what kind of like birth preferences or birth visions did you have? Um, really, I was so I'm a control freak and as much as I wanted to control my pregnancy as Jen knows very well and she led me she walked me through that season you really held my hand and walked me through that season of you know I I, I knew I was going to have to let go of control but Jen also reminded me you're really going to need to let go of control because I needed help <laughs> um, but walking into my birth plan I really just felt open to anything that was going to happen I was honestly really excited for the experience um really what I was telling myself my whole pregnancy I I wasn't afraid of birth at all labor at all birth at all and especially because I had been experiencing contractions and prodromal labor I ended up having prodromal labor from March to April when we had our baby Um, I already kind of knew a little bit of what things would feel like and it didn't scare me that much so I 
was just open to basically anything. My mom had four children, all of them were C-sections. My grandma had two children, all of them were C-sections. I knew C-sections were in my favor, odds wise, but I really didn't want one. And I was willing to put in the work or whatever I needed to do to put in that best effort to prevent it from happening. So really whatever I needed to do or whatever needed to happen in labor, I was open to it. I really didn't have a set plan. I was just going to go in with the mentality of whatever happens. I'm going to try my best, do my best. But most of all, like I want to enjoy this experience. I was made for this. My body knows what to do. My baby knows what to do. And I just want this to be a beautiful and fun experience. And whatever happens is whatever happens. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's a great, you know, um, birth preferences for, for, for your situation. I think that you had learned that so much, that control aspect, like you kind of mentioned, like your pregnancy was so out of your control. Um, you know, there's nothing that you did to give yourself polyhydramnios or gestational diabetes or gestational hypertension, or, you know, tons of Braxton Hicks and so much of it was just out of your control. So going into labor, like okay, whatever happens, it happens. Obviously that doesn't mean you did not educate yourself and prepare yourself and make decisions and, you know, go into this, um, fully educated in that sense too, but you were definitely very open to things. Um, and you had a great mindset going into it. (laughs) Like you said, you you wanted to have fun. I really did. I remember looking at you being like, I'm not scared at all. And I think you could yeah. kind of see that in me where you were like, Oh, I don't, I don't really think she's scared. Cause everybody around me was scared. Everybody around me was like, aren't you scared? Aren't you so scared? It's going to hurt so bad. And if I go into it tense and upset and thinking it's going to be the worst experience of my life, it very well may be. And I did not want that. And I just right. wanted it to be a beautiful fun experience. Cause you only get to birth your first baby once. Yes. So I true. wanted to have fun with it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, start, I guess on your induction story, kind of how things progressed, um, and how your labor was. Yeah. So I got to the hospital around, um, eight o'clock that night on April 6th and, um, there was no room in the end, so to speak until around 10 o'clock at night. So I waited, um, at CMC Maine and their waiting room on the eighth floor for about three and a half hours. And it was just me and my husband. We had our bags packed. We were sitting there waiting and um, I got a room around 10.30 and I was a really hard um, poke to stick to get my labs done and to get an IV. Um, they did a cervical check on me. I was about one centimeter dilated. And um, I personally wanted to start off with Cytotec first, but because I had been contracting for so long and I was still having contractions whenever I got there, um, Cytotec unfortunately was not an option. So they were going to start me on Pitocin, which, I mean, I had to start on something. So that sounded good to me. That sounded way better than the Foley bulb that they put in your cervix. Because at first they were like, all right, let's do a Foley bulb. We'll put that in your cervix. We'll blow it up. And then you'll go to sleep for the night. And I'm like, that doesn't sound relaxing or sleep inducing (laughs) at all. (laughs) I was like, "Um, can I do side attack? And they're like, no. So Pitocin it was. I didn't end up getting um, an IV in because I was just such a difficult stick until 3.05. 3.05 is whenever they had a CRNA. It was like the fifth person trying to get an IV in me. Um, and he looked at me and he was like, this is going to hurt really bad. And you're probably going to hate me. And we're not going to be close friends until it's time for me to do your epidural. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. sure. Sounds good. And he was not kidding. He shoved it right into my hand. It hurt so bad, but I was excited to be able to get started because I had been there 
at seven o'clock that night. Um, they put the Pitocin in at 3.05 and then at 3.20, my water broke. And I was only on two um, MMU of Pitocin. So my body was ready. Um, my water broke everywhere. And I mean, 40 centimeters of fluid. It, <laughs> it was a lot, a lot. They gave me a couple of little dog potty pad looking pads to stand on. Um, and my contractions definitely started picking up. And I remember I texted my husband and I was like, my water broke because we had been there for so long. I was like, just go home, get some sleep. Like tonight's not really going to be anything exciting. Tonight's like intervention. Tomorrow might be a little closer to game day. So just go home, go to sleep. And um, if any, if I need you, like I'll, I'll let you know. And so um, texted him that my water broke and the nurse came in. She was like, are you sure your water broke? And I'm sitting in it. Like I'm laying in it. I was laying on my back and I'm like, I'm a hundred percent certain I'm soaking wet. Like I'm going to need a new gown. And, um, she tested it with that little pH strip and sure enough it was. And then, um, I got my epidural around, I want to say five or 6 AM. I really didn't want to get it that early. And looking back, I probably won't do that again, but they were, kind of in a tough spot because they were switching systems in the hospital and when I had called for the epidural I was like hey can I just get ready for it like can we go ahead and get some IVs going I'll probably want it within the next couple of hours can we go ahead and get like me some fluids and hydration and all of the things and she was like yep and then the anesthesiologist came in within a couple minutes later and I was like, oh, I'm not ready. And he was like, no, I know, but I'm going to the OR for an undetermined amount of time. So you can either get it now or when I come back. And I've been contracting for so long since February, I was so over it. So I was like, all right, just do it now. And um, then that was my first failed epidural, which it ended up lasting me about 12 hours, which was pretty good. But then around hour 12, things started to dwindle away and my feet were very very numb if I, I kind of wish my stomach had felt like my feet because my window of pain I was just feeling all of the contractions but it was kind of a catch-22 because you know moving around in labor when you're contracting it feels so much better but I was stuck in the bed because I had chosen to get my epidural so early that I couldn't really move around and push through the feelings and stuff so I really just kind of had to lay there and I ended up getting about five boluses um, that epidural replaced then I ended up getting another epidural entirely got that one replaced and um, my doctor was like all right let's do a third one and I was like a third epidural like this this does not sound good I, yeah I you and those epidurals I, yeah it was a lot of just boluses and boluses and they'd come back and you never got like true, true, true full relief, maybe for like an hour after the bolus, but then that bolus would wear off and you'd be back to the same spot. Yeah. I'd be right back. It wouldn't like, I felt like looking back, it wouldn't gradually increase in pain either. It would just wear off. And yeah. Then I it was very like sudden. You'd be like comfortable and then not comfortable at all. Right. And, um, I, I just remember like, a third epidural that doesn't sound right to me I feel like we shouldn't be doing this as much like I don't think I want one I would rather just lay here and kind of push through the pain um and even the anesthesiologist came in and she was like we don't do three epidurals mm -hmm. on people and I was like I didn't think so like so um yeah I'm okay like I'm, I'm good so we just kept doing boluses until 
it was time for me to push. And thankfully, while I could feel basically every contraction and I pushed the button for the epidural every time it lit up that I could push it. Um, everything from like my hips down and my legs and my feet were very, very numb. So I couldn't feel any of that, which was nice, but every contraction could definitely feel that. So definitely next time I will wait until I'm way closer to delivery before getting an epidural or maybe just not get one at all. But, and then I, we pushed for like ever, Jen. We pushed forever. Okay. What was the time frame looking back from when your Pitocin was started to when we started pushing? Do you know? Cause I don't yeah. remember. So yeah, it was such a whirlwind. Um, so I got Pitocin started at three in three. the morning on April 7th. Okay. And then we started pushing at five in the morning on April 8th. Yes. So was, I thought, so just over 24 hours. Yeah. And your labor was, you know, you were only ever on Pitocin. It was pretty smooth. It just, you know, shortens like, or not short, slow and steady. And that's how inductions really should be. Yeah. I, I mean, I couldn't really ask for anything more induction wise because I was, I got there at night on April 6th. He was born in the morning on April 8th. It really wasn't that bad. Yeah. It was, it was just a lot like, you know, like you had told me the first five centimeters were really slow. Yes. And then this last of those five from five to 10, it went pretty quickly. I think the hardest thing about induction is just, of course, like it's exhausting, you know, two days of nurses poking and prodding at you and doctors and cervical checks and IVs and fluids and all these medications. And you're barely sleeping, you know, you were able to sleep on and off, but you don't actually rest even on, you know, your, your husband and heck I even know on me, like I was so tired after. So it's, it's a lot. Um, just, you know, they can just be really, really long. And I, Anna's husband, D'Angelo is the heaviest sleeper I have ever seen. Like it's actually concerning. Um, he will go into a coma and he fell asleep, like sitting up in the chair. I swear. I still like think about it. And when I think about your birth, that's honestly the first thing I think about, um, because I was like, there's no way his back and neck are not broken, how he was sleeping. And he was out cold. It was crazy. I was looking at him and we were like, okay, we should, well, he turned the TV on, he turned a movie on so he wouldn't fall asleep. He immediately falls asleep to the movie. I mean, we don't even get past the introduction of the movie. (laughs) He's sitting in an upright position, leaned over to the right and somehow his neck is on the armrest of the chair, but he's completely upright. I've still never seen anything like that, but yeah, his gift is passing out like he is on drugs and he will not wake up until he is ready oh yes yes so so stinking funny I remember that and I was like that's like the like epitome of a a tired dad during an induction like slumped over unconscious literally and I remember I couldn't physically get out to wake him up when it was you were throwing things at him yeah I was yeah you were throwing things at him I was throwing ice chips at him. Mm-hmm. I was throwing empty water bottles. I was calling his name. Oh and he gosh. was just, he was in his element snoring, peacefully sleeping. <laughs> I was doing the find my iPhone where you like ding the other person's phone, calling him. It was, it was a mess. But I well, remember- he, he ended up waking up and, and definitely made it for the birth. So that was good. made it like 10 more steps. It took him a minute though, to wake up. I was like, dude, you better wake up quick. Cause like, this is happening. (laughs) He was very groggy. I remember you were like, if I wake him up, is he going to like hit me? I I didn't want him to swing at me. 
didn't do that, but he definitely jumped whenever he yes. picked him up. It was so funny. So funny. Okay. So just back now going back to what we were talking about, um, pushing. So yes, about 24 hours, a um, little under that to, or no, a little over that, little over that to get to pushing. And I don't, how long did you, you started pushing at 8am you said, right? I started pushing at five. Oh, five, five, five. Okay. Yeah. I pushed for four hours or long. They were intense. It was. And I remember you, um, like you mentioned your epidural not working well. So pushing was definitely not comfortable for you. Yeah, it was not comfortable. I felt like I couldn't breathe because, yes. um, I guess looking back, Aspen had his feet and my ribs. And so I had my husband pushing on the left set of my ribs the entire four hours because it just hurt so bad being on my back because that was unfortunately the best position that I had pushed in. I couldn't do it very well on my side or anything else. And um, so I had to push on my back for that because we needed, I had an infection and he, he did need to come out because I had a little bit of a temperature. Yes. That's um, the other thing you developed choreo. Yes, had that. And so it was, it was time. Like we, there was no time to get comfortable with pushing and take our time and do all of the things. Um, so I remember, I remember I was like, Jen, I don't like pushing on my back. This is so uncomfortable. And you're like, okay, we'll get you to your side. You were so sweet. You got me to my side and you let me push for a couple of minutes to catch my breath on my side. And I just remember I really needed this and you looked at me in my face and you're like, Anna, you are not pushing very good on your side. You need to get back on your back. I know it's uncomfortable, but you need to dig deep and we need to get this done. And I just remember being like, oh man, okay, let's dig deep and let's get this done. I really needed that. Yeah. And I will say, I'm like, not a fan of pushing on your back. You know, you'll hear people who are like, I don't want to deliver on my back. Like my side's upright. And we did that. We tried all these different positions with you, Mm -hmm. but we had a lot of pressure on us because at that point they were threatening you with a cesarean. I remember the OB saying, I really don't like anybody to push past three hours. It's been four hours. You know, if you can't get him out (laughs) within the next like 15 minutes, um, I think that we should basically like call this done and you were so close, but it's true on. And I hate to even say this because I'm so not the biggest fan of back pushing unless it's comfortable for you, but truly like when you were on your back and I know a lot of times it's cause you can see the progress more, but honestly, I could tell the maternal effort from you and his head was not sucking back in as much. And you were, you were definitely mm-hmm. holding him down on your back. Um, so definitely. unfortunately, yeah, I had to be like, listen, girl, like, I don't want you to have to have C-section. You don't want to C-section. You are close. You can do this. And we were also not like, if you know, we weren't on a time crutch. I would have been like, yeah, let's just push on your back. If that's what's comfortable, eventually, like you're going to make tons of progress with it. But, right. um, like, I swear this OB was like counting down the clock. She really was like, if it was the different circumstances, we could have, you know, took our time and done all of the things, but I knew you looking at me and you telling me that because I knew you had my best interest in mind. And I knew you knew what I wanted, which was to get him out. And we just needed to do what we needed to do. And if that included me being uncomfortable and pushing on my back, then, Hey, it's what we needed to do considering right. the circumstances, because even the nurse that was holding my foot, she, she was not having it. She's like, we've been here for four hours. I can't do this anymore. Like we're going to have to go do a C-section. She didn't want me like pushing my epidural button anymore. She's like, I just think you're too numb and you're just not pushing good enough. And looking back, I still wish I would have told her like, you didn't like her. I don't think. 
no I did not like her and looking I remember being in the moment like maybe I'm just pregnant and emotional and like I've been awake for 48 hours and this would be a rash decision but looking back still to this day I wish I would have asked her to like leave because she was killing my vibe but my OB while she was absolutely counting down the minutes and was like if you can't do this you've been pushing for over three hours I don't really know what to tell you she was my hype man and she really brought the energy that we needed for being no, up. They for like switched two days. out though. Didn't they switch out? I want yeah, they did. They switched because out. Because the OB that was like kind of like counting us down ended up leaving. And then the one came in mm-hmm. like at the very end and she was like, We're d-, she was great. She was like, We're doing this. Like she was a total hype man. Yeah, because they switched shifts at 8 a.m. and yes, he was born at 9 45. And so she came in and she was like, let me feel how you push for a couple of times. And she's like, good, I'm going to gown up because I don't gown up for nothing. And she went and sat down and she was the hype man. But she was like, Anna, you've been pushing since five. Like, it's been a while. We're going to have to make something shake. Right, right, right. You're right. I remember her coming in very like supportive. And then I think after about that hour, she was like, okay, like that's kind of where she went back and was like, you can still do this. Um, but you know, we need, we need to actually like get serious with it. Um, yes, I do remember that now actually. Okay. All right. So you push and kind of go through the moment of him actually coming out and being born. Yeah, so I I had my eyes closed for the whole thing. She was like, do you want to feel it? And I thought I'd be the type of person who like would want to reach down and touch his head. But in the moment, I think I was scared with like how big he was going to be and how stretched he may have stretched me. I was too, I would have been like, oh no, down there is destroyed. I think it would have really psyched me out. So I really didn't want to. But I just remember pushing and you really hyping me up and I could tell that he was coming out. And I remember, I don't know if this actually happened because my eyes were closed, but the sensation that I felt with half of my body being numb was I felt like my knees almost like got brought to my chest by you and the other nurse. But again, my eyes are closed. And I just remember being like, oh, that's a different technique. Like maybe he's coming out and everybody was getting louder and louder. And I remember NICU, NICU was in there since it was before 37 weeks and them just kind of like staring at me through the closet. And I I had to close my eyes because them staring at me was really like making me anxious and being like, okay, they're waiting for him. Like, I really need to hurry up so he can go over there. Um, And I just remember him being born, coming out and then hearing from the doctor, no time, dad, I can't let you cut the cord. Sorry, he needs to go over to NICU Um, and her cutting the cord really fast. And then I remember the doctor looking at the nurse being like, was that shoulder dystocia? And the nurse being like, I don't know. Do you think it was? And she's like, I don't, I don't know either. Um, just put no, we'll put no, that sounds good. I remember being like shoulder dystocia, that's like a medical emergency. Like what just happened? I think they thought that you were leaning towards a dystocia, which is why we got your legs back. Cause I, it was like the unspoken thing that was happening, but it definitely was not a dystocia. You know, there, there was no like struggle necessarily. I think she did have to move his, like one of his shoulders a little bit and kind of rotate him, but there was, um, yeah, I wouldn't say it was a true dystocia, but it could have been. Yeah. Yeah. I, Cause I, remember, I, I just remember laying there thinking like, if it was a true dystocia, I think she would be like, oh no, it absolutely was right. that. Cause they were going back and forth and then eventually decided on no. Um, but I didn't get to take a look at him or anything. And I just remember 
like not hearing him cry and him going over to NICU and I could feel like something was off and something was wrong um and I ended up finding out his APGAR was like a four but then they redid his APGAR and it was a six which is a lot better but I know they wouldn't put him on the CPAP for like 10 minutes um and I guess did he swallow fluid I think you saw more than I did yeah I think it was a combination of like he was just stunned he you know, swallowed a little bit of fluid and the fact of just, you know, the choreo and 36 weeks, I think it was just the whole picture. He just needed a little bit of help with his transition. Yeah. And the pushing for four hours, you know, that can be a lot on them too. Definitely. So I I remember my, my husband being like, Oh, that's cool. He's not crying. (laughs) Cause he thought, like he tells me this now but he thought in the moment like oh we have a really cool calm collected baby he's not crying at all like that's really chill and exciting and I just remember like oh I don't think he really knows what's going on but I just remember laying there and I was sobbing and you were telling like and it's okay he's okay he's okay because he eventually did start crying like as soon as he got over there um and I was sobbing and I just remember telling you like no I'm so happy I'm so happy yes I remember that (laughs) And, oh, yeah, because during pushing for those four hours, I threw up four times. So, like, do you remember that? That was so crazy. Yes, I remember that because D'Angelo had to, like, take a minute because <laughs> he I thought he was going to hurl <laughs> watching you throw up. I was like, oh, he's going to puke. Definitely. It ended up being really gross. They gave me, like, that 24-hour pee collection bucket to throw up in. Um, and then I, I really wanted – to wait to have my placenta delivered but I knew in the moment because I had choreo it needed to come out I wish I would have looked at it though because it was huge oh I'm sure I heard yeah Uh, because they gave me they sent me like the lab info on it it was in like the 99th percentile or something (laughs) and I just remember like gosh I wish I would have looked at that but and then um he was on the CPAP and I remember my OB being like, all right, Anna, um, looks like it's going to be a third degree laceration. And I just remember saying like, oh, S-H-I-T. <laughs> I, I don't know if we can say that on the podcast. No, you're, just... no you're fine. <laughs> okay. And I just remember saying that being like, gosh, I was really hoping for like a first degree at the absolute most, but he was pretty big. He was seven pounds, 11 ounces for 36 weeks. Um, and my husband said he saw the tear and then he went, oh, I'm going to throw up. And so he went to the bathroom and threw up and oh, they yeah, were stitching me up. Yes. He disappeared for a while. And I was like, I feel like I need to go check on him and make sure he's not like passed out. Uh, yeah. Cause he went to the bathroom and we were, we were both like, why don't you sit down? We can get you a little throw up, but don't go into the bathroom and lock yourself in there. Like, cause if you pass out. Right. Um, and then, yeah, they came and brought him over to me. And uh, that's really all I remember. Yeah, he ended up transitioning fine. He came off the CPAP. Um, they put him skin to skin with you. And you were able to, you know, keep him skin to skin. Um, and obviously, um, you know, got your repair finished and everything like that. Yeah. And then they transferred me to postpartum. He did end up having to go to NICU. Mm-hmm. Um, he stayed with me for 24 hours in postpartum and um his blood sugar it was just really really low and he was refusing to eat he wouldn't eat from a bottle he had a really bad tongue tie so he couldn't breastfeed at all 
um, and he was refusing to eat from the bottle. And um, they did that for 24 hours of doing heel pricks and having really low blood sugar. So they took him down to the NICU on April 9th, and then he got discharged on April 11th. And I went home the day before on April 10th. Awesome. So obviously, you know, you are, gosh, April, how many, you said he's four months old now, right? Yeah. Four okay, months I, old I, I lose so much track. So how was that kind of like immediate postpartum healing, you know, once you got home? Um, and then how are you feeling now? Four months out. Yeah. So postpartum wise, like when I was in the postpartum room, once I got transferred over there, I was in a lot of pain with my um, third degree laceration, my pain management, it really wasn't I just remember being in a lot, a lot of pain. Like I really couldn't sit down. Laying down was very uncomfortable. I was in so much pain that I wanted to cry, but crying, you have to use your pelvic floor. And my pelvic floor was hurting so bad. I was like, I can't cry. So um, they ended up giving me like five milligrams of oxycodone or something like that. And that would take the edge off to the point where it's like, okay, it still hurts really bad, but I'm not in like, 10 out of 10 pain. I'm in probably like six or seven. So like I could deal with that. Um, and honestly, they say postpartum that all the nurses and stuff, they come in every few hours and they check on you and they bug you. I only saw mine. I only saw the nurses that shift change and I only saw the OBs that shift change. Nobody really came in there. They only came in about three or four times. And it was at seven in the morning and seven at night. And that's just kind of what we did and I remember when they told me he was going to NICU I like I burst into tears because of course like who wants their baby taken away 24 hours into being with them but it was honestly the very best thing that could have happened because I was in so much pain I really wasn't holding him or really caring for him much at all because they had dietitians coming in and they were actually feeding him because he would not eat from me at Mm -hmm. all he refused to eat with me he ate a lot better with them so they were coming in every hour to do heel pricks for him and feeding him and they would change his diaper and stuff so he was being taken care of just not by me and um then Nikki was honestly the very best thing was a really big blessing in disguise because he I wanted to put him on a feeding schedule and in the NICU, of course, everybody has to be on a feeding and diaper change schedule. They can't have babies, you know, just crying all around the clock, hungry all around the clock. So he, as a newborn, was being fed every three hours. And that's really the transition that we had. I wanted to stretch him to every four hours. And he started doing that at about a month in of being home. Um, it was a really smooth transition. Like once we brought him home, I was feeling a lot better and I was more excited and I was more ready. I was actually in the right headspace and well rested and not in so much pain to where like, okay, I can absolutely take care of my baby now. Cause when I went home on April 10th, I didn't even think about him. Like I was out of it and so much pain, but I knew, you know, as a mom, you're like, okay, he's well taken care of. Like he's at the hospital in uptown. I know where he's at. Like he's with doctors and nurses. He will be fine. Um, we brought him home. We kept him on the feeding schedule. He was a really good sleeper for the first week. The second week I put him on my breast milk. He really didn't like that at all. Um, and he turned into a really bad sleeper. And then we got him back on formula. He's still formula bottle fed. He eats every four hours and he's been sleeping through the night since 
around week six. He does 10 to 12 hour stretches at night. Um, and yeah, he eats every four hours during the day and he's just nice and chunky and cute and it's been really fun. That's amazing. Yeah. It's Nikki babies kind of come home with like an instruction manual that most babies don't. Um, so yeah. I hear that from a lot of Nikki moms, like, you know, the, the, one of the big pros is that your baby does kind of come home with this schedule that they're so used to, and it can be easy to keep them on that. Um, and you know, as far as formula feeding and, and you trying with the breast milk and the ties, you know, so much plays into that. And I think at the end of the day, you being confident enough to decide like, Hey, he is doing so much better on formula. Um, he likes it better. He's sleeping better and not stressing yourself out. You were, you know, I think sometimes that can be really, really hard for people to come to the conclusion of, and, um, you know, you have to do what is best for not only your baby, um, what makes them feel the best, but also you, like what makes you feel the best mentally and physically. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember, I wasn't heartbroken or upset in any form or fashion. He had a really bad tongue tie. Um, he couldn't physically breastfeed. He didn't like it. Even after we got the, the tongue tie revised, he still didn't like it. He wasn't good at it. Um, and I also, I never had a full supply either. And so um, something that I had told myself that really got me through it and really just put it into a perspective for me that made me feel good was, you know, some people, they might be worked up and upset that he's not a breastfed baby, but everybody would be worked up and upset if he wasn't a fed baby at all. So that's actually really true. Yes. So I was like, he needs to eat. He doesn't like it for me. And he still, he still doesn't like it. Um, So I ended up drying my supply up and that's just what has worked for us. He does really great. I have, I have a breast milk supply downstairs in the freezer. I'm hoping we can transition to around like six or seven months that we can stop buying formula around then. But I mean, he's doing great on it. So that's just, that's, that's our story right now, you know? Yeah. And you know what? Every baby is different. Everybody's story is different. You, nobody knows how to, you know, raise your baby better than you do alone. So who cares what, you know, does not matter what other people think as far as how he's fed. And I kind of always say this, like, obviously I love breastfeeding. Breastfeeding is it's amazing. It's, yeah, it's great. But at the end of the day, like however you feed your baby, everybody's journey is unique and breastfeeding formula, feeding, exclusively pumping, feeding donor milk. It's all still, it is all still hard work and sacrifice and time and money. And, um, there's just so many, there's so much that comes with each different, you know, way of feeding your baby. Um, but at the end of the day, like nobody's going to, you know, come up to your three-year-old on the playground and be like, so were you breastfed or were you formula yeah. fed? No one yeah. cares. Like at the end of the day, it, it really doesn't matter. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love, I love that perspective as well. I remember, I, I really, I hope this doesn't ever happen to anybody else, but I remember being four weeks postpartum and I was very solid in my decision of doing formula feeding. Um, I think he probably just he, I don't think he was doing good on my milk because he got really gassy. His stools changed. He was arching his back and crying. Something was just off. And I wasn't going to make my child go through that just so he could have my breast milk. I just didn't feel like that was best for us. And I remember being four weeks postpartum and I had, it was our first grocery store experience, you know, like your first outing with the baby. And I was just getting some groceries for the house. And this was like, this is May 9th. And there was this lady in scrubs. I was in food line 
And she was like, oh, that's such a cute baby. How old is he? And, you know, just in passing. And we're like, oh, thank you. He's four weeks old, um, blah, blah, blah. And we just kind of like walked past each other. Well, I remember standing in the drink aisle, picking out like what kind of drinks I would like to take home for like 10 to 15 minutes, Jen. And we, I buy the drinks. I go out to our car, putting the groceries in the car. And the lady in the scrubs who asked me about Aston is following me out to the car. And I'm putting my stuff in my car and she pulls her buggy up beside me and she was like, oh, hey, like it's it's uh, nice seeing you again. And I kind of got the feeling like she was following me around the store a little bit because I went to self-checkout. I had been in there for like 20 plus minutes. Why is she conveniently behind me following me to my car? And um, she doesn't introduce herself, say her name or what she does, anything. It's just a lady in scrubs is all I see. And I'm putting my stuff in my car and she's like, so how old is he again? And I was like, oh, he's four weeks old. And she's like, oh, that's awesome. So how's breastfeeding going? Mm-hmm. And I just looked at her and I was like, oh, it's, it's actually not going. Um, he's formula fed. It just wasn't our story. And I'm still putting groceries in the car. And uh, she's like, well, you know, breast milk is what's best for your baby. Like I'm a lactation consultant. Like tell me, tell me why you're not breastfeeding because you really should be getting him off of formula. And I just remember standing there. This was a 10 minute encounter. She has no idea. She doesn't say like, oh, well, she has no idea what you've been through though. Like she doesn't ask you, oh, so first of all, it's not even her business, but it's like, you don't even know the struggles I've already been through, how much I've already tried a tongue revision, uh, you know? Yeah. Ridiculous. I just remember standing there and I'm glad that I felt confident in my decision to mm-hmm. formula feed him because I just remember looking at her and thinking like, I hope you don't chase new moms around the store asking them how breastfeeding is going because I honestly felt confident and comfortable in my decision and I didn't get emotional about the decision at all. But right. I know a lot of moms do. It can actually be very difficult for moms, especially so early in postpartum. And I remember my friend, Leslie, Um, she was heartbroken, like nothing short of heartbroken that she couldn't breastfeed her daughter. They did, you know, the tongue tie revisions, lactation consultants, all of the things for three plus months and her daughter physically could not latch. It was an anomaly. They're not sure why it happened, but she needed to be bottle fed. And I remember hearing my friend Leslie go through that and seeing how she overcame. And I immediately came comfortable with the decision of, Oh, well, if that happens to me, like, look at how amazing she's handling the situation. I'll just do the same. Like, it doesn't have to be this big of a deal for me. And I just remember thinking, like, if she would have done this to my friend Leslie at four weeks postpartum, this would have, like, sent her over the edge. Mm -hmm. So I I just remember being grateful, like, I'm glad she's doing this to me because I, I don't feel weary, like, I need to follow her advice, but that's just so early to be chasing people around the store asking about their breastfeeding journey. (laughs) People think that they can just comment on like, you know, if you're pregnant, people can comment on how much weight you've gained or the size of your belly or, you know, uh, what you're naming your baby. Like God, you know, God forbid they don't like the name that you chose for your child, a stranger in the grocery store, they're going to tell you about it. So yes. And all the nurses, if your intentions are well, like you still need to make sure that the the things that you're saying are not going to be like misconstrued because even somebody coming up to you and, you know, I don't know if, how her intentions were, but you know, you can, you can have all the best intentions, but you still need to be careful about the way that you say things for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Especially to like a new mom and yes. being so early and post emotions I- postpartum are already like, 
you could have told me I looked pretty and I would have cried because that's was Absolutely. my emotions. Absolutely. I remember you telling me in the hospital that like when you were postpartum and this piece of advice really helped me that you were home after having Adeline and sometimes you would just cry and nothing oh, yeah. would be wrong. You would just need to cry. And I remember I had like four moments like that where my husband's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm like, I just need to cry. Like, you know, those first four weeks are just yes. crazy. And so I remember feeling like very normalized, like, okay, Jen said she felt this way too. So it's not just me. It is, you know, Ashton would be like, are you in pain? Are you sad? Are you happy? Does something hurt? Are you hungry? Are you tired? Do you need water? And I'd be like, no, literally nothing. Like I just physically would get this overwhelming sensation of like crying and nothing was wrong. It it was like the baby blues, but I wasn't even sad when I would do it. It, I just simply needed to like, let it out. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I, I ended up, I did end up getting like postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. And that was very interesting in and of itself. That didn't really happen until around like six weeks. Okay. But I remember the first four weeks, I would be, nothing would be wrong. I wouldn't be happy or sad. You know, you just, you got it. I think your hormones like absolutely crash after you have that baby and tears are definitely involved. Yes, they, for sure. So now, you know, four months out, how, how are you guys doing? How are you feeling? I can't believe it was four months ago. I know I can't either. It's, it's just been so fun. It's been mm-hmm. so good. He is such a joy. Um, I just, it just I gets kinda, better. It just gets better as their personalities just shine. It really does. I try and tell him every day, like, you know, I love you so much. I enjoy you so much because you really only get, I had an existential crisis. Um, once I had Aspen, it really just showed me how beautiful life is and you only get to do this one time. Mm -hmm. And I just remember like sobbing sometimes at night being like, gosh, I just love him so much. Like, it's not fair. We only get to do this one time. Um, and it's just been so fun. I'm honestly scared for when the time comes for number two, because he's just been such an easy baby sleeping through the night 10 to 12 hours on a four hour feeding schedule since the day he came home. He doesn't cry anymore. Whenever he wakes up for the past month, he wakes up and he just talks himself awake and he talks himself to sleep. And he, um, he's just really calm and chill. Like I was the type of mom I wanted to be just really cool, calm and collected. And if we miss naps, we miss naps that's not the end of the world. And if I need to go out during your nap time, we go out during your nap time, I'm going to need you to learn how to nap on the go. And it's it's a skill set. And so that's just the type of parent that I wanted to be. And he's really adapted and taken to that really well. And it's just been so fun. He makes me want to have like 10 babies, but I'm scared for number two, because they say it's like a night and day difference, and I wouldn't be ready for anything different just yet. Yeah, it is. They're just, you know, they're such sweet moments. And it's, I don't know. You're, you're never going to do, you're never going to like experience this whole, all the first, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like I was trying to figure out how to word that you're never going to experience all these like first, like the first time they like laugh at you and smile at you. And you know, Adeline just started saying mama, she would babble, but I think she actually, she'll look at me and be like, mama, mama. And it's like the first time I've heard, you know, I, and I know the second time it's still special, but nothing is like this first time. It's all so new. And experiencing life through their eyes is just such a beautiful thing. It makes everything better. 
Oh, absolutely. I 100% agree. That's so sweet. She's talking like saying mama now. That's so exciting. Yeah, it's it's very, very cute. I think that she thinks mama more so means milk um, because she says mama and it's like, I think she wants to actually just nurse. So I don't think she's calling me. I think she's calling my boobs. But either way. (laughs) That's funny. Me and my husband joke that I'm the milk lady because Aston will look at me and his eyes will light up and you know, they don't do the same thing to the dad at all. Yes. It's so funny. They, they're all about that milk. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. All right. Anna, what would be um, your like top piece of advice if you had to give kind of an overarching um, piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah, I think um, mine would just be really enjoy the moment. It can be so easy to stress about a million different things. Um, and honestly, to enjoy your postpartum experience, don't feel like you need to have visitors over um, or really anything like that. One thing that I did in my birth is I didn't tell anybody I was in labor going to be induced. That's just something that I wanted to do. Um, and I also didn't feel pressured to have anybody over until I was ready, until I was healed. And I felt like I could handle that. I feel like in our society as new moms, it can be almost expected to be um, you know, play hostess and have people over to see and hold the baby and you cook and clean and have guests over and just, just don't feel the pressure of doing that because you really only get to do this one time. You really need to put you and your family and your baby first. Um, and I think people who love and care about you will absolutely understand that. And it's different. It, to me, I think the mom determines who the support people are for her. If you want to be a mom support person, that's one thing, but to me, you're not a support person unless the mom wants you there. You're, to her, you're probably a visitor, as sad mm-hmm. as that may be. Um, but I would just say, don't fall into the pressure of feeling like you need to play hostess or have people come over um, or feel bad or guilty that it's taking you a while to heal before you start inviting people over, feeling comfortable with that. Um, yeah, I think that would be my one piece yeah. of advice. I love that you knew that with your first going into it. Cause I think I saw you at a, like a week postpartum and, um, I was like, so like, cause you're family, you're like, no, nobody's came over yet. And I was like, what? And you're like, yeah, nobody's came over yet. I'm just not ready. And I was like, wow. And I will stay with my first, um, I had, we had our friends over the night we got home. They brought us dinner. It was sweet, but it was a lot. Yeah. And then about three days later, my parents came and stayed for a week. And then they left. And the next day, Ashton's mom came and stayed for a week. And then the next day, our two best friends from back home came and stayed for about five days. So it was literally three weeks of having at least two people in our house at all times. And that will not happen with my second. It was great. It was great, but it was a lot. It was stressful. It was tiring. While it was also nice to have the help, it was tiring. And um, it took me a whole baby to learn that, um, I will not be having guests. (laughs) Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, but it's, it's just, it can feel pressuring, feeling like you need to entertain and, you know, you can't be a hundred percent comfortable, especially if you're trying to figure out breastfeeding, you're in a diaper yourself, like your baby's in diapers, you're in diapers, you're both are figuring this whole thing out. And I just did not want to feel the pressure and to me, like if people love and care about you, they will absolutely understand that you basically just got in a car accident. And you're taking care of somebody that you've never met before. That's a good way to put it. So I think people will absolutely understand. And, you know, if, if they throw a fit about it, maybe question the relationship just for a second. I love it. You're just always so, so real and honest and 
brutally honest. I love it. Thank you. I try. I try. Well, Anna, thank you so much for taking the time and just sharing your story. Um, it took me back, jogged my memory a ton. So, um, thank you so much just for sharing your story and, um, sharing just, I guess, all your little pieces of advice, letting go of control. Um, you know, a lot of just how to kind of stand your ground with what you want to, and I appreciate you and your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I can't wait to listen to other women's podcasts. I know you have a couple of people that you're interviewing, so I'm excited to hear those stories and see what's next for you. Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.